guys. Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. This week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast is sponsored by Exhale Coffee, the first specialty coffee in the UK to be sourced and roasted, especially for health. Their unique process is designed to lock in the natural plant chemicals and involves nine different tests at independent laboratories across Europe, all overseen by their in-house team of experts. You guys know that I love my morning cup of coffee. I could not part with it. I'm so happy to introduce Exhale into my morning routine. Independent tests show that one cup of Exhale coffee tested to have the antioxidant power of 12 punnets of blueberries. That's 55 oranges or 1.2 kilograms of kale. It's a lot of antioxidants. So much so that it tests 40% higher in polyphenols. And if you're not a huge caffeine lover, the decaf is the same coffee as the regular, but it's decaffeinated using a chemical-free mountain water process, which uses only the purest spring water from the highest mountain in Mexico. Honestly, guys, I have put the beans in my coffee machine. And as always, I so look forward to that first cup of coffee. The magic to the exhale coffee is sourcing and roasting to retain more of and bring out more of the coffee's healthy compound. If you guys want to try exhale coffee, use code WELL40 for 40% off your first bag in a subscription plus free delivery. So go to www.exhalecoffee.com, use code WELL40 for 40% off, and you guys won't be disappointed. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We are here with a special guest, Chloe Brotheridge, who is a hypnotherapist and coach. Hi, Chloe. Hello, hello, thanks for having me. So excited to have you on. Um, So let's just jump right into it. Like, Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I am an author and a coach and a hypnotherapist and I help people mostly with anxiety and confidence issues and all the kind of ways that that can manifest itself from people pleasing to perfectionism to fears about public speaking and using your voice and I, I trained as a hypnotherapist 10 years ago and I got oh. into this work basically because I had a ton of anxiety was having panic attacks, you know, had really low self-esteem, would beat myself up about everything. The inner critic was just there constantly. And it just held me back in so many areas. In work, relationships were really difficult. I found it really hard to make friends. And yeah, I was really struggling with, with all these things. And I discovered hypnotherapy was one of the tools that, that really helped me. And I had a lot of therapy and um you know after about 10 years of struggling and not getting help and thinking no one could help me and I was like that forever I finally got some help and I realized actually you know what if you if you kind of ask for help if you get help if you try things there there are things that will help and I started to notice things changing and I started to feel better and, and grew my confidence a lot and yeah these days I get to help other people who you know have struggled with the same sorts of things that I have yeah I absolutely love that I think 
I, I mean, I've suffered with panic attacks in the past and I had therapy Same. for it and it was just life changing. And I think people often, maybe not so much nowadays, but they used to definitely shut therapy down and therapy was like, you shouldn't be going to a therapist. And if you were, there was something really wrong with you. But hopefully now I think more people are realizing that me and Barry say this all the time. You don't have to have a really deep rooted problem to just want to see a therapist and maybe improve on yourself a little bit. Totally. I think there's so much you know that can that can come from us learning about ourselves and you know even if we're not really struggling and at rock bottom that's not a reason to not get help and mm-hmm. yeah. I know that we are talking about this so much more but it is still quite hard to ask for help you know yeah, I, yeah. myself had even recently had to have well I didn't have to have but chose to have therapy again and it was quite hard for me to say actually you know what it's time for me to have some more therapy it was mm-hmm. kind of I was reluctant to do that I was like oh I should be okay I should be able to sort this myself and even though we're talking about mental health more, I think it's still hard to to take that leap and to, to ask for help. Yeah, I recently restarted therapy. And when I first started, I was kind of under the impression of like, nothing is like really bothering me. But I think it's like, it was kind of offered to me through work. And I like just took it. I was like, therapy is always a great idea. It's nice to just talk to someone who's unbiased and just, and so much stuff comes up in these, you know, in, like you said, like your inner critic or these like um, stories you tell yourself, your inner dialogue, it just comes up. And I thought I didn't have a lot to talk about. And oh my God, I run over every session and things that you didn't think were worth talking about. It's always worth exploring. Mm. Can you talk about a little bit about the difference between different types of anxiety because I mean there's there's just feeling or not I say just feeling anxious but someone could be feeling anxious because they've got an exam or whatever but then there's like the other side of it where you are having full-blown panic attacks you don't want to leave the house you're so anxious I used to have it in my head that like something bad was going to happen to me or my family like really extreme thoughts but do you see like the full spectrum yeah I think there is there is a spectrum it's it's one of those words that gets used for a lot of different things and it's quite a broad term and there are so many ways that anxiety can manifest itself and and also anxiety is a normal emotion you know we a bit of anxiety can be you know healthy before a job interview before an exam before your driving test if you didn't have any nerves or anxiety that might be a bit weird and sometimes it can help us to prepare or to you know you know think about all the things that we need to but where it becomes a problem is when it's every day when it's affecting different parts of your life if it's holding you back if it's ruining your peace of mind and it is one of those things that should really be diagnosed by a doctor so if you go and speak to your doctor they'll you know ask you various questions and diagnose whether it's you know mild or moderate or more severe anxiety so you know people are thinking they might be experiencing anxiety it is good to get it diagnosed or you can go on the NHS website if you google NHS um, what is it NHS mood quiz it will basically give you a, a sense of what level of anxiety you might be experiencing. But there are all these categories as well for anxiety. So there's social anxiety, which is, you know, it's a lot more than just feeling a bit shy. It is yeah. where it's going to stop you from going out. It's going to stop you from wanting to talk to people. Maybe you're very isolated. Maybe you get very physical, strong physical sensations of anxiety and nerves before meeting people. And so it is It is different from just shyness 50% of people are shy that well they say that they're shy and, and social anxiety is more than that then there's things like OCD uh, panic disorder the most common one is general generalized anxiety disorder which is characterized mostly by worrying about stuff so if you're somebody that 
worries about lots of different things, you've been worrying for a long period of time, you find it hard to switch off from that, then it could be a sign of, of um, GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. Where do these different types of anxieties come from? Because I remember when I didn't start suffering with anxiety until I was like 21, and I can't pinpoint why it was or where it came from, but do you see like specific reasons as to why someone might be more anxious than another person? Because, you know, a situation that might make me anxious might not even phase Barry. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a difficult one to answer, but if you yeah, have any yeah. insight, I'd love to know. Totally, yeah. I mean, everyone's unique and different, and this is kind of a, a sweeping statement, but there tends to be, I mean, the genetic factors um, can account for that. It's not the whole story. Just because you have a, you know, anxious gene doesn't mean you're destined to be anxious, but mm. it can play a role. Early life experiences. So if you experience trauma, if you were bullied at school, if your parents got divorced and that was, you know, challenging for you, if you got shouted at in front of the class by a teacher, all these things, whether they're big life events like being abused or whether they're more everyday traumas, sometimes called little T traumas, like um you know mild bullying at school or yeah making a fool of yourself <laughs> um in front of the class or something like that or thinking you've made a fool of yourself in front of the class these things can really stay with us and it's to do with what stays with us subconsciously and the meaning that we give it so if our parents get divorced and we make it mean because when we're younger we don't we can't understand understand why adults do the things they do we can't understand the bigger picture of why things happen we often would take things personally as children and so we might make it mean oh I'm not lovable you know my dad left and that means that I'm not enough or I got shouted at and that means I'm bad and I'm a bad person so if we kind of internalize these traumatic events or the meaning that we've misinterpreted it can really stay with us and we've all got those things now all all of us if we dig you know a little bit deeper into ourselves We've, we've got some kind of wound from the past, something that someone said to us or something that happened. And anxiety can be um, caused by these sorts of things. Um, and then lastly, it can be caused by life events. So getting made redundant, um, losing someone that's close to you, um, a relationship breakup, all these things can, can trigger stress, can, can trigger maybe triggering things from the past, but can lead us to feel uncertain and unsafe. And that can that can trigger anxiety. So it, it'll often be for us, I think, a combination of these things. It's going to be different for everyone, but it tends to be those those three things that, that can cause anxiety. I think that's so fascinating while you're speaking. I'm just like applying that to the times that I've been most anxious in my life. And I like, I'm at a point in my life where like, I think I've had so much therapy and I've opened up about so much. Like I can see this plus this plus this in this situation I know that like that was weird because we're on a podcast and I just did all these hand movements that no one can say but basically like piecing together the puzzle that led up to that moment of anxiety and the things I experienced as a kid and the trauma and the the worry is it, it it's almost like that perfect storm for those like moments of anxiety absolutely yeah yeah so I mean, it, one, one thing I hear that's quite common is, I don't know why I feel this way. It came out of nowhere. But once you start digging a bit deeper and you can start to see, oh, hang on, maybe that thing that happened, you know, when I was 14 had more of an impact than I realised. Or maybe it's been kind of brought up to the surface because of some experience that you've had as an adult. It's like it's re-triggered an old wound and, and maybe it didn't bother you for years and then suddenly it's kind of come up to the mm. surface again. 
I was actually about to ask, do you think it's important to address exactly where that anxiety comes from in order to move forward and overcome it? Or because I know when I was doing my psychology degree, there was kind of this debate is, is it worth going and digging deep back into the past? Or do you just address that you've got a problem and we're going to do this to fix it? That's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, different therapists will have different opinions mm. on this and I'm not saying that one is right or wrong completely and there can be many many paths to us overcoming things and what works for one person may not work for another person the way that I have worked with hypnotherapy is that it can be very helpful to pinpoint a almost like a root cause of where something comes from yeah and we're not kind of going over it and talking about it for hours and mm. we're not spending you know sessions and sessions on that event we might just spend one session and we might just reframe it so say somebody is experiencing anxiety because they're a perfectionist they never feel good enough in the session we might do something like asking the subconscious where does this perfectionism come from mm. and then they will go back to a memory of a time when they were six years old and they showed their dad their homework and he was you know, disappointed in the work that she'd done. And that had left some kind of imprint on her. Um, and then we might do some work to help her to reframe that and to see that from a different perspective. So to see, you know, your dad was just busy in that moment. He was stressed about his work. He had his own stuff. You know, he had his own childhood and harsh upbringing that maybe influenced that. And it's actually not your fault that happened. It doesn't mean that you're not loved. It doesn't mean you're not good enough. So in kind of reframing that experience, we can do some work to kind of untangle the, the root cause of, you know, some of that anxiety. So that would be my approach with it. And it can be useful to do something like a process like that on, on those past events. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I feel like um, it's kind of almost similar with like um, helping people like navigate their relationship with food and that you can have all the coping strategies in the world or the techniques to like get you through something. But if you don't revisit why, sometimes it's just going to keep showing up again and again. So, I mean, I would, I would personally, it's very logical for me to think, let's go back. Let's see where things mm. started to change. And now we can recognize that we can move forward where obviously I'm not a therapist. Um, but if you kind of just go straight into the coping or dealing with it, it sounds like it may reoccur. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it, it, it does make sense. It makes sense to me as well to, mm. to do some work to heal the root cause and also work on the strategies and the things in the moment and the things yeah, that you can do day to day to help yourself and have that combination. Yeah. And what level of anxiety should we be tolerating? Because I think it's interesting at the start that you said, you know, some level of anxiety is good, you know, before an exam, it can help you prep. But when, at what point should we be thinking, actually, this is really hindering my confidence or my ability to function? I think it's an interesting one, because another thing I hear a lot is people sometimes being surprised that it's not normal to be worried all the time. And it's mm. not normal to be up, you know, waking up at three in the morning worrying, because when we have been in a pattern for so long, it can almost seem normal. It almost mm -hmm. seems like, oh, we've always, I've always been this way. You know, I've always been a warrior. And so, you know, maybe I'm always going to be like this or maybe there's nothing I can do about it. So I guess, again, I would be saying when you have a diagnosis or when you do the NHS mood quiz, for example, it's going to tell you, mm. it's going to ask you, like, how long have you been worrying about this? You know, does it affect your um day-to-day -day life are you fidgeting are you restless are you sleeping okay how's your appetite 
how you you know does it affect your relationships it'll ask you those sorts of questions so yeah those are questions that we should be looking at and I think it's good to to recognize the signs because anxiety can kind of creep up mm. and suddenly we're kind of in a anxious spiral and it's gotten gotten bad again and we kind of don't realize when it's happening so there might be early signs for you to to look out for like you might get IBS when you're more anxious you might wake up at five in the morning you know ready for the day and kind of full of adrenaline but really haven't had enough sleep or you might be sapping at your partner or your kids mm-hmm. and so look out for those signs that are kind of letting you know that the anxiety is, is affecting you or maybe you're you're kind of you're saying no to the opportunities that you'd like to say yes to but you're you're too overwhelmed or you're too um like you don't feel like you can cope with things yeah I think that's really interesting because as you were speaking there, I was kind of likening it to when someone identifies that they actually have an unhealthy relationship with food, which would be, you know, not going to social events because they're kind of anxious about the food that's going to be there or they wake up thinking about food, they go to bed thinking about food. So, yeah, I think if it's kind of consuming or all consuming, then, yeah, there's definitely bound to be something that you can do to improve or manage what you're going through mentally. Yeah, it's like that, like ruminating over certain mm. kind of, you know, things that happened or things that you think are going to happen or, yeah, I can definitely understand that. I think it's a really good correlation. Um, I'd love to know kind of like situate, like in current situation, like after a pandemic or still as we come out of a pandemic, yeah, like have you, what, I don't even know how to ask this. Like, obviously anxieties have grown. That's like the silliest thing to ask. Do you think people have experienced more anxiety? (laughs) Like, of course they have. Um, But can you talk a bit about that and some of the things that you think people are experiencing, whether it was, you know, how this pandemic is going to affect us, like in the long run, do you think this is going to be one of those traumatic experiences that's going to play into people's anxieties in years to come? Yeah, so, yeah, there's so much. I mean, there are going to be some people who found the pandemic has made them less anxious. I want to say mm. that first. People who don't want to, who are not commuting, who are not going into an office. You know, I know people that have thrived. <laughs> yeah, there's some people who are thriving. Yeah. So that's good for them. A lot of people, obviously, the uncertainty, I think, is, the, is a big aspect of it not knowing when it's going to end, not knowing what's going to happen in terms of jobs, finances, health. I think I was reading somewhere today that like one in, was it like two million people in the UK have had long COVID? So just mm-hmm. the implications of that, you know, having living with like a disability, it's been called a disability now, long COVID, COVID and that, all the implications that that can have and the uncertainty of that. Um, <clears throat> the lack of social contact and how important that is for us as humans it's it's a human need for us to you know have each other and be in physical space with each other and yeah so many things around that and as we move out of the pandemic you know fears about being with people again social anxieties coming up because you haven't been face to face with people and you don't know how to make small talk anymore (laughs) um those sorts of things are really really creeping up and I suppose it has been a a bit of a collective trauma I think in that this kind of uncertainty can can stay with us if we're if we're thinking about the future and doubting what's going to happen and feeling uncertain it can it can make us it puts us into fight or flight basically it puts us into survival mode when we're not certain it really hits us at that primal level like where are we going to get our 
food and shelter and community from so yeah I mean I can't predict what the long-term effects will be but certainly it's been it's been massive for, for lots of people yeah completely understandable and what are some of the tools that you recommend people use to overcome anxiety hopefully <laughs> there's a few you can list because I guess it depends as well on whether or not we're talking about full-blown panic attacks or you know just that general anxiety that you were talking about as well yeah because yeah. I think for you and I so if we both found like during lockdown specifically like journaling to be really helpful yeah um yeah and I um I've picked up a lot of other like weird coping strategies um in terms of like I knit I read I try it and I'm like a distractor which is like not always the mm. best coping strategy so like I distract but then I also journal <laughs> I used to, when I was going in on the train um, to uni and I was getting my panic attacks, I'd have like a certain playlist that I created of all these like happy songs that triggered happy memories for me. And I'd plug that in every time I was on the train. Otherwise I'd that. be getting off at every stop, like anxious that something was going to happen. But yeah, any tools that you can recommend or that you see really successful with your clients? Yeah, definitely. I would first say that, again, we're all different and it's really mm -hmm. important to find what works for you. Not everyone can meditate. Not everyone you know, sometimes meditation, as much as I love it and find it really helpful for me personally, if you, you know, beat yourself up tons, if you find it really hard to stay still, yeah, I can't meditate. Like meditation, it's not going to be the best thing. You can't do it. It's like, you're going to beat yourself up about the fact that you can't do it. And then it just sort of, and then you panic about the fact you can't do it. You're like, why can't I meditate? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So find what works for you. I'm a big fan of finding a way to use your body to discharge the nervous energy because so much of anxiety is physical. Mm. You know, it's tension, it's a racing heart, it's sweating, it's, you know, shaking, it's feeling nervous, you know, in your tummy. So find a way to discharge that energy. We're in fight or flight when we're anxious. The body's getting ready to run away or fight. A lot of adrenaline being, you know, released. And if we're just staying still, we're not burning off that energy. We're not you're not processing the adrenaline. So I love shaking. I like get up and shake several times a day. Or if I like, if I can't sleep at night, I'll get up and shake my body. Like quite, quite rough, quite roughly. That's such <laughs> a like, good tip. I'm going to try energy. that. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. like, I forgot we had a guest on, I forgot who this was. Um, it was talking about this book um, and I have it in my queue on my audible, but it's like why zebras don't have ulcers or something like that and it's because they constantly shake or something like that yeah. is that kind of is that related to it is that exactly yeah. yeah so all animals do this have you ever ever noticed your dog for example when they hear a loud noise or they I don't know they get a bit of a fright they shake their bodies and what animals do and animals do this in the wild they're discharging the stress and tension and they're not holding on to it like we do and we, we would hold on to it and maybe get an ulcer or have IBS or you know be grinding our teeth at night and actually oh, yeah, shaking it off can be such a good thing so I yeah, love shaking I love that um, I'm definitely gonna try that yeah 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 well some other things I mean there's the classic things like meditation exercise people will probably already know that journaling is mm. obviously amazing putting your feelings into words is what's really powerful it's trying to name and label the emotions that helps us to feel more in control and more calm. And I use something called the feelings wheel of my clients. Mm -hmm. You Google feelings wheel, you'll find it. It's a colorful kind of rainbow that's listing all these emotions that we can have as humans. And instead of saying to ourselves, oh, I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling anxious. Can we look at the feelings wheel? Can we drill down into what, what specifically we're feeling? Yeah. So it might be like 
I'm actually feeling disappointed today. I'm feeling lonely, you know, and just naming that has this effect on the brain and it calms us down. They've done studies into um, labeling emotions and, and scan people's brains and it calms down the amygdala. So if we can get really clear and, and pin down what we're feeling and name it, sometimes the saying is you've got to name it to tame it. Um, yeah. It helps us to feel more calm and in control. I love that. And I could totally relate to that in terms of like, like you said in the beginning, like the word anxiety or like feeling anxious is so common. And I think a lot of people just throw it around because it really has become such like a word in everyday language, Mm -hmm. but like, oh, I'm feeling anxious about this. And like, actually dig that like a bit deeper, like that might be fear or, you know, there's anxiety is kind of a top level emotion, I guess. Um, and then you you got to dig down to like what that actually is. So is it like a fear of being let down or a fear of not being good enough or, you know, uncertainty or disappointment, like you said. So, yeah, I love the the um, emotion wheel. It's something that we use in work as well. Yeah, I think we, I actually think we shared that on Talking Wild. It's like a good few months ago now, but we should probably reshare that. Um, but what I find really interesting is it really is like mind over matter. Like, like you said, it's so physical when you are suffering with anxiety. Like I've had the whole, I've even lost my vision sometimes. Like my hands go pins and needly, my heart's racing. I've got this chest pain. I think I'm having a heart attack. Um, but it's actually only your own mind that can kind of dictate where that goes. Is there anything that you, any kind of like breathing exercises that you can recommend like if someone's in that moment of like just full-blown anxious mode um yeah is there anything they can do in that moment to kind of calm themselves down because I guess it's kind of past the fight or flight moment because they've literally just like gone with it (laughs) yeah so one thing I really like and this comes from Claire Weeks who is was an Australian uh doctor and she wrote books um in the eight the sort of 70s and 80s basically about anxiety but she said um try to float instead of fighting the feelings so float with the feelings instead of fighting them because what we fight against we we can end up strengthening if we're in an internal battle with ourselves trying to calm down a panic attack sort of telling ourselves oh i can't panic i need to make this feeling stop kind of we're we're fighting with ourselves and that can make us panic even more it can make us even more anxious so instead she's Yes, and she uses this imagery of imagining that you're in the sea on a very, you know, peaceful, you know, day. The sea is nice and calm, and we can we can either kind of flap our arms and legs around and kind of um, try to stay afloat by kind of <laughs> I'm doing this imagery doggy paddling. Doggy paddle, <laughs> um, we can either do that, or we can let our bodies go completely floppy and relax, mm. and we can lie back in the water. And actually the salt water will hold you and support you. And she says to try and have this imagery of floating with the feelings of panic. Mm. It sounds kind of almost counterintuitive, but allowing the feelings to be there. Imagine we can just let our bodies go floppy, riding the wave of that panic attack, because it will subside. It will mm. feel it for a while. And nat- naturally your, your adrenaline levels will drop again. But if we can float with it instead of fighting it, it's actually going to help us to get through that moment um, so much more easily. And, and you know what that reminds me of? Like when I, I mean, I grew up in New York, so like we have really bad snowstorms and stuff. And like when there was like ice, it was always like, if you skid on the ice, like go with the skid, don't try and go against it. Cause that's when your car could flip over. And it almost is just like going with the chaos, knowing that it will pass and not trying to 
fight against it. That's the weirdest analogy I've ever come up with, but like it's it is really like makes what it kind of reminds me of. Yes. Definitely. I love that analogy. I'm going to use it when I go into labor if I'm panicking. <laughs> go with it. <laughs> Just going to imagine floating. myself in the sea because I love the beach and the sea. So, <laughs> um, I was going to ask something else. Um, oh yeah. Breathing exercises. What about the whole kind of breathing in for four breathing out for six to eight because it's funny I was actually prepping my husband for like how he can support me in labor (laughs) such a fun activity that was and he did this breathing exercise with me and I was like oh that's how you need to like you know encourage me to breathe and he was like I can't do that he was I just went really lightheaded I was like okay (laughs) I'll just do that on my own (laughs) but I I find it interesting because if you are not used to breathing like it it, I get it like it actually can make you go a bit lightheaded so would you Mm. say that's kind of helpful or something we should be just practicing in preparation for an anxious moment yeah I mean there are so many different breathing techniques and I would say one thing is that some people really find that breathing techniques don't help because they over focus on their breathing you hyperventilate so that's you then just do something else but (laughs) I just like belly breathing. It's I love really belly simple. Breathing. Just relaxing the belly, letting your belly muscles like flop out a bit, <laughs> and um, and putting your hands on your belly if it's easy, and then just breathing into your hands, breathing into your belly. Imagining it's like blowing up a balloon, so your belly's mm-hmm. expanding on the in breath, and then belly is sort of flattening a bit on the out breath. And just doing that sends a message to your nervous system to relax. If you've ever watched a, a baby breathing their little bellies rise and fall kind mm. of naturally they're not really breathing into their chest and it's actually the way that we breathe when we're when we relax naturally and a lot of us as adults have forgotten how to do that so yeah I just like to keep it really simple with belly breath so I was thinking of that ex- that example of like you're sitting around a table waiting for your turn to introduce yourself and you're nervous to speak in front of people and yeah. just taking those belly breaths and those moments before just to to calm your nervous system down and ground you in your body yeah, because I guess a lot of people, or what I used to do as well, is when if someone says to you, take a deep breath, you like lift your shoulders up and suck everything in. And that's like the worst thing you can do, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess when we're gasping for air, yeah. uh, maybe not sending our nervous system the best message. But yeah, just those deep belly breaths can be really mm. nice. Yeah. Amazing. The doctor like used to put the stethoscope to my back and be like, deep breath in. Yeah, like, and then you'd look... <laughs> And they never correct it. <laughs> no, they were reinforcing bad breathing behaviors. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I think I think breathing. There's also one that I've done in a yoga class before where it's like alternate nose. Do you know what? I hate breathing. that one. That really? winds me up so much. Oh, I like it. That's Loads so of people funny. do. Loads of people love it. And I just thought it gets me confused. And I'm like, I'm just not enjoying it. <laughs> I also have really bad hay fever. So there's always one nose that's like not breathing properly. <laughs> so like I get it. It's like, I'm like, no, I can't switch. That one's fog. Um, but yeah, that is that's funny. Um, I wanted to kind of also um because I was scrolling through your Instagram, you talk a lot about confidence mm. and um how we're born confident I think it's really interesting because we talk about this in intuitive eating when we're like born intuitive eaters and then you know life comes at us and you know diet culture kind of corrupts that but it sounds like almost like a similar thing happens with confidence when we're born quite confident but things can happen to us that leave us feeling not confident yeah yeah I kind of use the example of babies you know they're not 
they know that they're lovable. They, they're not shy about asking for what they want or making their voices heard. Um, they know that their smile can you know, melt your heart. And I think we have that innately when we're very young. And unfortunately, as we get older, we take on board a lot of this programming from society, from our parents, even though they may mean well, you know, mm. we always are going to take on board some stuff. You know, we're told no, we're told off, we're told don't do this, don't do that. And we can take things on board from, from those experiences that can mean that we learn to doubt ourselves or we learn to think that we're not okay as we are or we need to be something else. And so I often think about confidence as, you know, getting back to that essential essence and sense that we have that we're okay that we're essentially lovable and that we're enough and we don't need to be perfect um but it can be that we're kind of peeling away the layers of the conditioning that we've we've taken on board um but i also think one, one thing about confidence is it's not i think we sometimes expect ourselves to be good at things in the beginning i don't know if you ladies experience this but i you know i go to a dance class and i if i can't get it straight away i'm kind of like why aren't i getting this or yeah. you know i should just be able to know how to use this spreadsheet uh, software and there's this expectation I think it comes out of perfectionism and that kind of pressure mm. to be good You're at things like that. yeah and so you know we don't allow ourselves to be beginners we don't allow ourselves to make mistakes or to be imperfect and so that can stop us from trying even it can stop it can hold us back because we, we don't even want to try if we're not going to be good at something so I think there's something about knowing that it's okay to be a beginner, to, to make mistakes, that we're, we're learning all the time. And, and confidence is something that comes from giving things a try and learning and getting better. We're not supposed to be amazing at some stuff in the beginning. We're allowed to be beginners. So confidence comes from taking action. It comes from experience, actually. And so, yeah, it's something that we can grow and it's something that can that we can work on and that can change. We're not we're not stuck feeling low in confidence. Mm -hmm. And if someone were say someone listening to this is like, oh, actually, I have really low confidence. What are some things you could suggest to kind of start building that confidence up again? I think the biggest thing that I see is the inner critic and how mm. that can hold us back so much it's like very rare to find someone that doesn't beat themselves up and doesn't have a very loud inner critic I would say it's the most common thing that I see in people and so training yourself to be kinder to yourself continually coming back to this idea of if this was a friend what advice would I give them you know how would I treat someone that I love that was experiencing this what, how would I speak to them you know what what kind things might I say to them and continually coming back to that until it becomes more and more of a habit. It is such an ongoing process, I think, of it reminding is. ourselves to be kinder to ourselves. Yeah, I talk a lot about that with my own clients in regards to their relationship with food. And I call it that devil voice on their shoulder. And I'm like, you have to keep telling him to F off. <laughs> like, it's not, otherwise he's not going to go away. Like, we actually have to actively you know, work on ourselves and do all this self-development work. And it is a journey, like you said. It's not like you do it for a week and then all of a sudden you're confident. So I think it we do have to understand that it is ongoing. Yeah, I think also something that's really helped me like with my confidence is like, like you said before, like we can't be expected to be good at everything. And instead of trying to like focus on the things that I'm not good at, just like lean into the things that I am good at and be like really good at those. And then like the other stuff, like that's just not my 
personality. It's not my skill set. It, it's never going to be. And stop trying to like dwell on that, but really just like, how can I like use my natural skills to my advantage? Yeah, I love that idea of, um, we're often told, aren't we, to like think about our weaknesses and try and improve our weaknesses. Yeah, but actually, yeah. how about you just get someone else to do the things that yeah. are good at and then focus on <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, even like, um, I, like I can give like two different examples, like a work, like I'm like the opposite of a perfectionism, like, or perfectionist. Like I am like not detail oriented at all where like I'll get stuff done and I can like manage multiple projects at once and I can like move quickly, but like I need to hand that off to someone else to revise and give feedback because I'm not detail oriented to put like, that's just not my skill set. Mm-hmm. but recognizing that then calling on people I can that makes me a better person. Um, and I guess like with self-confidence, like I've always been self-confidence about my skin and knowing that like, I'm never going to have perfect skin, but like, I'll learn how to do my hair really nice. So I could always have nice hair. Cause I can't, I can't ever have perfect skin. Um, I don't, that, I don't know if that's like a good thing I'm saying, but like, it's just like leaning into the things that, you know, make you feel good instead yeah. of trying to change the things that you can't control. And again, I think it comes down to as well, like, is actually appreciating the fact that we're all different. I think comparison is a huge thing as well that we didn't touch on. But, you know, if you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else's, you know, no one, literally no one is perfect. Perfectionism doesn't exist. And I think we just have to take that out of the equation sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, comparison is a whole another topic. (laughs) It really comes down to us often just discounting our own we discount our own magic and our own gifts and we kind of just take them for granted because it's us and we've always been that way but yeah I think spending a bit of time to appreciate yourself and appreciate the path that you're on and the the gifts that you have to share and the the interesting things that you have going on in your life um, and spend time focusing on that and yeah try to find a way to not get too triggered by stuff on social media Um, find a way to sort of set some boundaries around that so that it's not getting yeah triggered all the time by yeah I think the boundaries are really important we do say all the time you know if someone is consistently popping up on your feed who is not making you feel good it might not be their fault like but if it's triggering you then just unfollow or mute or restrict <laughs> yes yeah amazing well thank you so much that was I mean I'm going to listen back to this podcast 100 percent like I said before I go into labor and I'm definitely <laughs> going to keep that C thing um in in the front forefront of my mind <laughs> start doing visualizations now yeah. like of you in the sea so when you're like ready for it you're like nope I'm going to the sea yeah exactly <laughs> but um yeah thank you so much Chloe where can everyone find you um in regards to you know finding maybe even working with you or finding some helpful tips yeah so I've got a podcast called the karma you podcast and I have guests on each week talking about different areas of confidence and anxiety and I've got some free resources on my website. I've got hypnotherapy downloads and affirmations. If you head to karma, C-A-L-M-E-R hyphen, the little dash, and then Y-O-U. So karma hyphen you.com. I've got lots of free downloads and, and resources on there. Amazing. That's fantastic. We'll put all of that in the show notes in case anyone wants to go check it out, which I highly recommend you do. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to chat to you. Bye. Bye.
Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.